Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the 50th Chicago International Film Festival and the Illinois Office of Tourism, dedicated to introducing audiences to new filmmakers, new stories, and new perspectives. Featuring more than 200 films from over 50 countries, October 9th through 23rd at AMC River East 21. Tickets and film schedule at chicagofilmfestival.com. The Chicago International Film Festival, because everybody loves movies. Illinois, mile after magnificent mile. Nerdette is supported by iSpy Optical, voted best eyewear shop by the Chicago Reader and New City. iSpy Optical strives to supply nerdettes and nerds with unique handmade eyewear and expert advice in a living room atmosphere. Since 1998, iSpy Optical has specialized in out-of-the-ordinary and customized eyeglasses in every color of the rainbow, located in Lakeview at 3350 North Lincoln Ave in Chicago and at eyespyoptical.com. You banned Henry Miller. You banned D.H. Lawrence. Giovanni's room because it's too homosexual. Stop it right now. You're a guest at this school. I'm a student at this school. He banned Fahrenheit 451, which is about banning books. Was that supposed to be funny? I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up, it's Band Book Week, so we're talking about all of our favorite sorted stories. And then a conversation with Rob Delaney, who's really good at telling jokes in 140 characters or less. All that plus your nerd confessions. Right here on Nerdette. Professor, her kind of woman doesn't belong on any committee. Of course, I shouldn't tell you this, but she advocates dirty books. Dirty books? Chaucer! I get press releases in my email inbox as a journalist that say it's National Pancake Day or National Toothpaste Appreciation Week. Really stupid stuff that's all about just PR for some product. But Banned Books Week is different, to me at least. It's bananas to think about the fact that some of these books, even books like Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, which is about banning books, get banned. We had a conversation with author Tom Parada, who wrote books like Election, Little Children, and The Leftovers, about why it was so important for him to have access to some of these more sordid stories as a young person. I had an AP English class, and we had a book called Nine Short Modern Novels. included uh, The Metamorphosis by Kafka, Heart of Darkness by Conrad, Beast in the Jungle by Henry James, Faulkner's Old Man... Oh, The Stranger was in there. I mean, it's just an incredible batch of short novels that kind of defined modern literature for me. And, and I remember just being blown away by one after another of them. I remember we'd be allowed to read in school on Monday afternoons, and I would just sit there, and I could not believe you know, that they were letting us read a book like The Stranger or The Metamorphosis that seemed so subversive and insane, you know, because I think I had grown up in a world where... 
what was appropriate was pretty heavily policed. And the idea that somehow suddenly in school I was being handed a book like The Metamorphosis, it just actually felt illicit to me in some way. I think that captures the sentiment so well because the idea really is that for a lot of us, this is how we're exposed to new ideas and concepts that we otherwise wouldn't have lived. I can think of a number of books that really blew my mind as a kid that have been on these banned books lists, and it's so important for us to be able to read them. Some of the most banned books, according to bannedbooksweek.org, which has all kinds of great information if you want to know more about how you can prevent censorship, things like Huckleberry Finn, Beloved by Toni Morrison, Fahrenheit 451, like we mentioned, Howl by Allen Ginsberg, Catcher in the Rye, which is one of my favorite books ever, and a whole slew of the great Chicago literature that looks hard at things like race and poverty, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, even one of my very favorite children's books, Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. All these books have been banned not just once in some small isolated incident, repeatedly in communities where people are afraid of new ideas. Let the wild rumpus begin. (laughs) Well, and it falls into that whole idea, too, where if you're a teacher or a parent or some adult introducing a work of fiction or nonfiction to a kid, as opposed to saying, no, you shouldn't read this, it's too sophisticated or too sexually explicit or whatever, let's talk about these things when you come across them, and then you'll know how to deal with them, which just makes so much more sense to me. Anyway, we're preaching to the choir, clearly, because you (laughs) nerds listening... I don't think are the sort that would ban books. I don't think that our listeners live in the town from Footloose or anything. So I'm sorry if we're getting a little ranty at you guys, but this just really matters to me because I love books and I love libraries and I'm a big fan of the First Amendment. Rob Delaney's book, Mother, Wife, Sister, Human, Eggplant, Swordfish. What else is on that list? I missed a couple, I think. You're close. There is a vegetable. The title of Rob's book is Rob Delaney, Mother, Wife, Sister, Human, Warrior, Falcon, Yardstick, Turban, Cabbage. The book came out fairly recently. It's probably already been banned somewhere. Don't you think it's fair to assume? I think so. I really love the origin story of this book. Can you tell us how it happened in 140 characters or less? I don't think that I could. (laughs) Um, Publisher tweeted me with book deal. That made it sound terrible. (laughs) But yeah, that is what happened. I mean, not explicitly, here's a book deal, but would you write a book for me? I got just an at reply on Twitter from Julie Grau of Siegel and Grau, which is part of the Random House family. I said, yeah, okay. And then I wrote a book over the course of a little over a year. How did you choose this title? People write these silly, whimsical bios for themselves on social media. And I I don't like whimsy. I don't like cute, clever things. (laughs) And so I made fun of people who make their bio like mother, wife, sister, human, warrior, falcon, yardstick, turban, cabbage. It's not that much sillier than a lot of people's bios. And in particular, if you're just a civilian and you make something like that, your bio, that's great. But like if a famous actor writes a bunch of things in his bio that aren't just famous actor. Like if you're Brad Pitt, your bio should be famous actor, you know, not um, gardener, barbecue enthusiast, Zoroastrian. I thought it would be fun to roast them as it were. 
making jokes on such a public platform means that you are getting your name out there in this really powerful Mm -hmm. way, but then you're also kind of using up your good stuff, right? Here's the thing. When I do stand-up or I write a book or even an essay, I'm talking about things that I truly, sincerely care about and have thought about. But if I make a YouTube video or do a tweet, that's just ephemeral, throwing pasta at the wall to see what sticks type stuff. So I don't really worry about giving up material because that's the difference between a amateur and a professional. It's my job, responsibility, pleasure, honor to constantly be making funny stuff. So I have to stay in shape. Amy Poehler, you don't want to be like, Yes, put that joke you did on one episode of Parks and Recreation or Saturday Night Live in a glass box so that I can stare at it, hermetically sealed perfection. You just want to have lunch with her and have her make you laugh. So I don't really worry about specific material. I worry about my ability to think about things in a funny manner. And there's always new stimuli coming in, so shame on me if I can't turn it into good stuff. It's my job, so I better be able to churn out material all the time. One of my favorite stories from your book is early on, and it's about learning microwave science. Uh Uh-huh. Can you tell us that story, please? Like many young kids, I was curious to the point of danger. And I was in sixth grade, and I wanted to see what would happen if I put an egg in the microwave. I'd heard that you shouldn't, so I thought that I should. And I did, and I put it in for one minute. I thought, you know, we'll give it a trial time and see what happens. Don't want to go too crazy, you know, so just one minute. And I put it in a minute, nothing happened, and I took it out and put it on the counter. And then I went about my business, and then I heard like a high-pitched humming, and I wasn't sure where it was coming from. And I kind of looked around, and I realized it was the egg. The egg was keening. It was like, coming from the egg. I took a butter knife. And I just tapped it. I just touched the egg with the butter knife. And it exploded like a grenade. And an unbelievable volume of what appeared to be scrambled eggs came out. But way more. Like It was more like a bucket's worth of scrambled egg came out. It didn't smell like scrambled eggs. It smelled like if you just dug up some dog corpses and threw them in a blender. I mean, it was sickening. There were scrambled eggs all over the ceiling and walls and all over my face. And it burned my face blisteringly, (laughs) which I deserved. And I'm glad it happened. And then I had to explain to my family and friends and classmates why my face was burned so terribly. I lied about it. I don't know why. I was so ashamed of myself that I said that my sister had thrown a potato peeler at my face, which is just a terrible excuse. Isn't that more embarrassing? that your little sister attacked you with a potato peeler. I mean, (laughs) just be stupid rather than be domestically abused by your six-year-old sister, I think. It seems like you learned learned a lesson, right? (laughs) Maybe I think I did. (laughs) I haven't done it since. (laughs) I have to admit, just because of the high-pitched hum, I am really tempted. I'm super curious. You would never be curious about anything again in your life if you yielded to that curiosity and then smelled the smell that it made. You just wouldn't ever be curious again. It would cure you of curiosity. (laughs) You've said that you actually never minded taking standardized tests that you liked fill-in-the-bubble tests because there was such a clear sense almost immediately of success or failure. And so much of our education system is built on that idea and that when it goes away suddenly as an adult, 
I think you said it as you wish that you could fill in a dot and have someone say yes and hand you a chicken leg or no and slap you with an old fish. Barring that, how do you do what a lot of nerds have struggled to do, which is navigate adulthood without those same signposts and goalposts and gold stars that we all got so accustomed to? That is a magnificent question and one of life's great mysteries for me. I mean, like now, for example, I have a three-year-old, I have a one-year-old, I have a wife who is an adult human being with needs and feelings and wants. And so my life is just a minefield. I mean, it's a terrifying emotional landscape of my life is just a war zone and extremely difficult. And I do so wish I could just fill in little dots and things and it would all be okay. But you can't. And so my wife and I really do try to break things off into digestible chunks. Because of our kids, for example, being two different ages, they're both two scary, bizarre, beautiful, fascinating uh, creatures, but they oscillate at different speeds. Like a three-year-old boy is really different from a one-and-a-half-year-old boy. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to them, so you kind of have to like tend to one, then to the other, but you can't at the same time. They can't quite play together. So we try to really regiment our days. We even make little calendars. We make little construction paper calendars. And I used to get annoyed at my wife for being somewhat of a type A personality and being really hyper-organized. But I realized that's probably actually on a fundamental level sexier to me than her actual sexiness <laughs> is that she is really naturally inclined to do stuff like that. And I resisted it for, I don't know, five seven years. But I finally realized it's really good to do stuff like that and to make little plans and goals. So we have nerdy little meetings and sort of the unsexy stuff about our marriage is the stuff that I am really proudest of. It is how I have tried to put some order into my life. I have to exercise every day. I have to eat well. I have to put so many scaffolding things into the messy, gelatinous fat of my natural desires and will. So, yeah, that's the thing. Is you realize as you get older, it takes a tremendous amount of support to keep a human life going and rules and regulations. And for me, it really does take all that stuff so that I can then be creative, write stories, tell jokes. The amount of just support system stuff that would have horrified me as a younger person is pretty staggering. I feel like that's <laughs> one of those really big indicators of becoming a grown-up, though, is realizing those things that you have to do to take care of yourself so that you can actually be a functional oh, human yeah. being. Freedom flourishes after that. For example, I wake up in the morning, I take antidepressant medication, I'm a sober alcoholic, I haven't drank in 12 years. So I have to do those two things for mental and emotional health right out of the gate in the morning. After I got sober, I became a marathon runner, like a lot of crazy sober alcoholics who need to focus <laughs> their laser-like crazy attention on something else. I'm a serial joke composer to the point of sickness. I mean, if you really put it on paper, my life is pretty scary looking and analogous to like a Rain Man level institutionalized sad person that you just want to hug and pat on the back and be like, it'll be okay, but not really believe that it'll be okay. So, yeah, I'm a mess, and uh, <laughs> such is life. I'm okay with that. I think that functionally crazy is a good way to be. That's how I like to define myself as well. 
I like you hate the idea of a tortured artist, but what makes us different is what makes us different. So <laughs> if we can use it like you do. Yeah, and I mean, you don't have to necessarily be tortured. You know, there can be tortured artists, but wouldn't you rather just be an artist? Life is such a carnival of nightmares and horrible things happening one after the other. Even if you have a good life where you look to 100, the tragedy that will befall you could fill an encyclopedia. So you're going to be tortured. So don't revel in the torture because it's going to happen anyway. So literally try to be happy. Try to be at peace because you won't be. Plenty. So the torture is going to come. So don't celebrate it. Just try to mitigate it, sublimate it, turn it into a painting or a pretty sandwich with fun ingredients, whatever. And that's not a metaphor. I literally mean a real tasty sandwich. I think in a lot of different ways in your life, you've been willing to be a guinea pig or kind of a scapegoat. Even like throwing all your jokes on Twitter and seeing what happened kind of fits into that. How else would you say that you've been a guinea pig or a scapegoat in your life? I don't often know that I've been a guinea pig until after the fact. But, you know, I was in a car accident 12 years ago that resulted in me getting sober. I had a lot of surgeries. There were legal consequences. I was court-ordered to live in a sober living halfway house and a rehab facility for some months. So I had to navigate you know, the legal system, then the health insurance in the United States of America 12 years ago was a darker situation than it is now. Still not great, but I learned a lot about that. And I was pretty frank about everything that happened with me with alcoholism, depression, dealing with all this stuff without health insurance and not having it kill me. So I went through something that isn't unique by any stretch of the imagination, but it was difficult. And I tried to blend that with my career and storytelling and humor and all that stuff and try to use what I'd learned to try to help other people navigate situations like that because they are frequent. And so anything involving alcohol, drug addiction, mental health, health insurance, all that stuff, that is some stuff that I went through that I would love to help other people avoid. Or if they are going through it, it can illuminate a path out of that stuff. Absolutely. No, it takes real bravery in our culture to be open about those things. Rob Delaney, thank you very much for talking with us today. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You can follow him at Rob Delaney. Still to come, homework from Josh Gondelman and your nerd confessions. Support for Nerdette comes from Veridesk. The Mayo Clinic says that sitting all day is bad for our health, but standing all day can be just as bad. So Veridesk is a height-adjustable standing desk that lets users sit and stand throughout the workday. I have one of these, and I love it. It adjusts from sitting to standing in three seconds. Lickety-split! <laughs> Lickety-split! And it gives you the flexibility of standing or sitting whenever you want. Comes fully assembled, so all you have to do is take it out of the box, set it on your desk, and you have a standing desk... There's four models to choose from, so if you have dual monitors, there's one wide enough for that. Or if you have just a single monitor and a small desk, they have one for that, too. To find out more, you can visit varidesk.com. Here's some homework from Rob Delaney. Right now, I am making a sitcom in England with a woman named Sharon Horgan, and we co-wrote it and co-star in it, and it comes out next year, but... The reason I first ever became friendly with her is because she made a sitcom called Pulling, and it was on BBC Three for two seasons and a special. And I think you can watch it on Hulu or Amazon, where you can get the DVDs, but it's a sitcom, and it's written by Sharon Horgan and Dennis Kelly, who's an amazing Irish playwright. And for 
for my taste, it's the funniest sitcom I've ever seen, and it embarrasses all other modern sitcoms, and they should halt all production and watch every episode of Pulling and then start again and decide if they want to continue what they're doing because Pulling probably already did it better. So that's what I would recommend. It makes me laugh every time I watch it, and I've watched it many times. And it's just 12 episodes, two short six British episode seasons, (laughs) and then a special. And it's a flawless masterpiece. It's about three women in their 30s living in London as roommates. It's brutal, scathing, unbelievable comedy about these women's lives. And I can't get enough of it, and I can't recommend it highly enough. We have homework from another funny Twitter person that we like a lot. His name is Josh Gondelman. Josh Gondelman is a comedian. He's a web producer at HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And he's the co-author of the hysterical Twitter account Seinfeld Today, which just thinks about what the show Seinfeld would be like if it was still happening today, if it was on air today. Here's a couple of examples of Seinfeld Today tweets. Kramer rents out his apartment every night on Airbnb and lives in the hallway. Kramer says, I'm making cash hand over fist, Jerry. Jerry says, you're homeless. When George's ex changes her HBO Go password, George tries to reconcile with her just long enough to get the new one. (laughs) I can relate to the HBO Go password one. (laughs) So good. Make sure you check out Seinfeld today. Here's that homework from Josh. What have I been really enjoying lately? Oh, you know what? I really like the new Ted Leo and Amy Mann, The Both album. They put out an album together, and it's just, it's such a pleasant and lovely album, and I think it's perfect for this weather. I want to thank Tim Barnes from the It's All True podcast for helping us get that piece of homework from Josh Gondelman. We'll post a link at nerdatpodcast.com to the whole episode from It's All True that has lots more funny stuff from Josh Gondelman. Now it's time to hear from you. Nerd Confessions! Nerd Confessions! Okay, so I'm calling in with a uh, nerd confession here. And, you know, it's really difficult actually to choose just one you know there was of course the spelling bee triumphs from back in the day there was the uh, time I tracked down my favorite children's author Donald J. Sobel author of Encyclopedia Brown series basically stalked him actually Um, but the one I'm going to go with here is the time that I actually created a mix CD and this was no ordinary mix CD this was a fictional sequel to the movie Blade Runner, essentially a soundtrack to the never actually made sequel to Blade Runner. I called it the Autopsy of Art Deckard, of course, Art Deckard being the main character played by Harrison Ford, who may or may not have been a replicant. Spoiler alert, in my movie, he's definitely a replicant. Not my movie, but my movie soundtrack, the fictional one that, you know, never actually existed. Anyway, the point is, I got all these crazy songs, you know, from Electronica, and I just picked out all these random tracks that I thought would be the perfect soundtrack 
to the sequel to Blade Runner, and I actually made this thing with liner notes and production and beautiful packaging, and it took me like a month, which in hindsight was very nerdy, very, very nerdy, and that's my nerd confession. Thanks, Nerdette. Trisha, I've said this before, but I've seen approximately 10 movies in my life, and I don't know if you're surprised by this, but Blade Runner was not one of those 10. So based on this confession, I need this person to call back because what I really want to hear about from this amazing nerd is this like Encyclopedia Brown author stalking situation. That sounds really good. And that's a good reminder for folks that they need to call and tell us their nerd confessions and they don't have to feel like they have to tell their whole life story in one voicemail. Keep calling back with more confessions. Call 312-600-5638. Tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags are welcome. Call us and leave your nerd confession, 312-600-5638. Or suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile. Or just say hi. We love voicemails. Thanks to Rob Delaney and Josh Gondelman for being on the show this week. You can find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's also where you can sign up for our email newsletter. It's on the left side of the homepage. Just put in your email and we'll send you some nerdy goodness a couple times a week. Talk with us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast or like us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram now. We're using it pretty exclusively to just post mini book reviews. So if you are an avid reader and an Instagrammer, find us at nerdatpodcast on Instagram. This is for all of you people who keep texting me when you're at the bookstore being like, hey, I need a new book. What should I get? So now you can just look at the Instagram. It's perfect. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bovita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dassault, Patrick Burns, and Iris Lynn. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is at chicagopublicmedia.org. Our home stations are WBEZ and WCQS. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw us some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Parker4212 did on iTunes. We really appreciate the stars, the retweets, the shares. And there's one other way that you can help Nerdette. Yes. If your business is interested in marketing to a bunch of really amazing nerdy people, we are your solution. Send us an email. Let us know. Nerdettepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.